0: Please turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And today we conclude this series by studying the last seven verses of chapter 1. And after describing who I am and what I've been given as an adopted child of God, in the last seven verses, Paul applies this teaching in the context of his prayer life. Uh, beginning with verse 17, Paul writes, The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Today, we're going to talk about power. Wouldn't you like to have power? Wouldn't you like to have power that would set you apart as significant and special in this world? Power that would maximize your ability to do good, to have a beneficial impact in this world? And power to minimize your fears and worries and insecurities in life. And the answer is yes. There is abundant evidence that you do have an inborn desire for a special power that would make you special and significant in this world. And I could demonstrate this. With a truckload of sociological research, I could demonstrate that our obsession with stories of superheroes with superpowers, uh, I could demonstrate how uh, this common desire is also behind our universal interest in money and fame and achievement and success, or I could summarize our common desire for this kind of power with two words. The two words are Harry Potter. The Harry Potter series has become the most profitable book series in all of human history. And I know there are parents listening to me uh, now who don't want their children exposed to the Harry Potter books or movies, and I respect that. Uh, And so my reference here is not an endorsement in any way of the content, but a reflection on the central theme which I believe has made Harry Potter so popular. Harry Potter is a boy who is adopted. Harry senses that he is different, but he doesn't appreciate his abilities until one day he is told in a very dramatic fashion who he is and who he is not. Harry is told that he is not a muggle. Uh, Muggles are ordinary people. Uh, who have no special powers and who are blind to the unseen world of magic. Harry is not a muggle. Harry is told who he is. And that he has special powers and that it is time for him to become aware of his true identity and to be trained to use his power so that he can begin the adventure of making a positive difference and to fulfill his part in the story of goods triumph over evil. And many Bible scholars argue that the reason that this Harry Potter theme strikes such a popular chord is because it is a fictional version of a factual desire that God places in every human being. Harry Potter is a secular version of the spiritual reality that Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter 1 that there are special people in this world who, through Jesus, have become the adopted children of God. These adopted children of God are special people with special powers who have the ability to see a spiritual world that ordinary muggles cannot see and live with spiritual powers that the ordinary muggles in society can only dream about. And Paul says that once these adopted children become aware of their true identity, they can begin the adventure of fulfilling their part in God's story of his triumph over evil. But all of this has a starting point. All of this begins when... These adopted children of God know the power that they have. All this begins when you know who you are and what powers you have been given. Did you notice the emphasis in verse 18? Paul is describing how he prays for Christ's following people. And he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice what Paul does not pray for. Paul does not pray for uh, that I come to have the power like God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. No. Paul says that as an adopted child in Jesus, I already have this resurrection power. And so Paul prays that I know this power. And anyone who studies the Bible understands that whenever Scripture commands me to know something, it does not refer to just an intellectual knowledge. This becomes clear in the very first pages of Genesis, in chapter 4, in the King James Version. Uh, the King James uh, Version accurately ref- accurate reflects the original Hebrew when it says, Adam knew Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Clearly, Adam and Eve had more than an intellectual knowledge of each other. And this also applies to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil refers to much more than intellectual knowledge. It was a fork in the road between the experience of God's goodness and the experience of hellish evil. The biblical concept of knowledge is experience. In the Bible, knowing is experiential, not intellectual. And so when Paul prays that I know this power, he's praying that I experience this power that I already have, that God has already given me. But what is this power? Well, between verses 18 and 20, uh, Paul describes it as resurrection power. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what is incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Why resurrection power? If Paul wants to describe God's Power and the power he gives his uh, children, why not make a reference to the power of creation? Why doesn't uh, Paul say that you may have the same power as when God created the mountains and the mighty oceans? Why does Paul refer to God's power in the believer as resurrection power? Paul refers to resurrection power because there is a power that is greater than the power of creation. And that is the power of death. In Genesis, we're told that when Adam sinned, the power of death through sin invaded the Garden of Eden and overpowered every aspect of creation. Death dis. and twisted every aspect of God's creative beauty, including his highest creation, which is the human body and the human soul. So to understand the effects of sin death on the human soul, which we can't see, uh, we need to look at the effects of sin death on what we can see, the human body. Just think of what happens to the human body under the power of death. When death overpowers a human body, it is subject to disformity, decomposition, and debilitation. The first effect is deformity. Uh, Look at what happens to the body at the moment of death. Death makes it ugly. Um, In my line of work, I get to see what most people don't get a chance to see. I get to see what the human body looks like at the moment of death. A person dies. I have been at the bedside of people who you would consider very beautiful. And I can tell you that death deforms the human body into a thing that has no beauty at all, such that it takes an undertaker many, many, many hours just to make a lifeless human body presentable in public. And what sin death does to the body, it also does to the soul. Sin deforms us and makes us ugly uh, with selfishness and pride and greed and lust and hatred. But as his adopted child, God gives me the same power that raised Christ from the dead so that I can incrementally overcome the deforming effects of sin through His Holy Spirit. For instance, God creates marriage to be a thing of beauty, but sin sin, death deforms it so that uh, it becomes something ugly in many cases that can cause intense pain to men and women. But when a couple puts Jesus in the center of their marriage, his resurrection power can raise that marriage from the dead. Uh, We see this happening all the time here at Black Rock Fairfield and Long Ridge. Uh, A while back, a husband was driving by and saw signs for our divorce recovery workshop. He didn't know God. He was on a verge of a divorce. But somehow that sign uh, drew him to come the next Sunday to Black Rock to worship with his grade school daughter uh, while the mom stayed at home. And after church, the daughter ran to her mother and said, Mommy, you need to come to Blackrock. Jesus lives there. This young girl had never been to a church service before, but she knew that she had met Jesus here. Well, the next week they attended. A church together as a family they all met Jesus together they've all been baptized and Jesus has raised that marriage from the grave God took their deformed marriage and transformed it into a beautiful creation that he intended it to be the second sin effect of uh, uh, sin death on the body is decomposition Uh, As soon as a human body dies, it begins falling apart with decay. And sin death has the same effect on the human soul. Sin death makes it such that life seems to deteriorate more and more and slide more and more toward chaos. Under sin death, life seems to break up and spiral down and fall apart more and more. But the adopted children of God have the power to reverse this decomposing effect of sin on the human soul. With the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the believer has the power to resurrect out of downward spirals of bitterness by forgiveness. Worry can be overcome by peace. And despair can be overcome by the Holy Spirit's hope. Over time, God reverses the decomposition process and incrementally restores me so that I become more and more the creation he intended me to be. The third effect of sin death on the human body is debilitation. This is obvious. A dead body is completely powerless. A corpse can't respond to anyone or anything. Uh, and sin has the same debilitating effect on the human soul sin death makes it so that i am spiritually unresponsive i can't hear god's voice i can't see his hand in my life or i can't sense god's love through jesus but when jesus touches my soul God brings me to life with His resurrection power and suddenly I come alive and I can hear God's voice. I can respond to Scripture. I can react to His presence and receive His love. If I am an adopted child of God, my Heavenly Father wants me to know this resurrection power, meaning that I daily experience this power that raised Jesus from the dead. But how? How do I experience power over the deforming, decomposing, debilitating effects of sin? Well, the answer to this question goes back to the beginning of Paul's prayer in verse 17, where he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Paul's prayer begins with knowing God better because this is where the experience of resurrection power begins. My experience of resurrection power over the deforming, decomposing, debilitating effects of sin death increases as I grow to know God better. And this connects with the first century experience of adoption. In this series, we uh, have learned how, in Paul's day, adoptions often involved war orphans uh, who were distributed throughout the Roman Empire as slaves, but how sometimes they Roman householder would choose a war orphan, pay his purchase price, which would enable that father to set the orphan free from slavery, adopt the child as his own son or daughter, and how this process was formalized by a document marked with an official Roman seal and with this father's promise of an inheritance. But after all this, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that it was still very hard for a young child, war orphan, to transfer and transition his or her mindset from being an orphaned slave to being an adopted child. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that this mindset was only changed as the adopted child gets to know his father gets to know his father as Daddy, Abba. And as this child gets to know his Abba, Daddy, better and better, that child experiences the power with being an heir of this all-powerful Daddy. And in the first century, this power was symbolized in a ring. A father gave power to his adopted child in the form of a signet ring. Uh, Last weekend, Jen and I took our uh, 13-year-old kids on a trip to Manhattan. And uh, this was a trip we did uh, where we wanted to do something for the kids and then something for the parents. Uh, The kid part was going to a restaurant called Ninja. Ninja. Uh, which is a Japanese restaurant where, uh, no kidding, all the waiters are dressed up as ninja and uh, jump out to surprise you with the food. Uh, so the waiters sneak up and then give you your appetizer with a whoa, and then they uh, give you their sneak up with the main dish and go whoa, and then the biggest surprise comes at the end when you get the bill and you say whoa, what happened there? So. That's the ninja restaurant, and uh, that was for the kids. Uh, For the parents, we went to the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art, and we saw thousands of ancient artifacts, uh, including multiple glass cases uh, that displayed hundreds of signet rings uh, from Paul's day, uh, which was a little bit stepped down from the ninjas for our kids, but it uh, it was still very exciting. Uh, the gold rings uh, are mounting a single gem about the size of a penny and this gem is engraved with a uh, family specific mark and the museum displayed both the ring and the Gem and then the impression of that ring in wax. And in Paul's day, when a father gave this ring to his child, he was giving the child power to make purchases in his name and to conduct business in his name. The signet ring was like a family credit card. And you can imagine how at the beginning, uh, an adopted child would be afraid to ever use the ring because he would be insecure about his relationship with his father. But as the adopted father grew, as the adopted child grew to know that father better and better as his daddy, as he grew to know the father's love, know how his father thinks, know what his father wants, know the power of that ring to meet his own personal needs and also to conduct his father's business, there would be great power in that ring for that adopted child because the power of the ring comes from the power of that relationship with his father. And maybe you are here today and you say, I know God. But I still worry all the time and about everything. Paul would say to you, inspired by God, Paul would say, you don't know God. You don't really know God. If you are experiencing God, you would know God in the comfort of His promises. And you would not worry. You see, every spiritual weakness, every sin struggle, every doubt is the result at some final place. It's the result of an incomplete or defective knowledge experience with God. Maybe you say, I know God is with me, but I'm still afraid to walk in faith. Paul says, No, you don't know God. If you really know God and His encouraging presence, you cannot be imprisoned by fear. It's impossible. You say, I know God forgives me, but I still feel guilty all the time. Paul says, no, you don't know God. It's impossible to really experience God and His unconditional forgiveness in Christ and still be driven by guilt. You say, I know God loves me, but I'm still a slave to people-pleasing. Paul says, no, you cannot be a slave to people pleasing and say that you really know God. How can you be enslaved to the opinions of common serfs and still know and experience that you have the love and favor of the king of kings? Your heavenly Father has for you a ring of power. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. He gives you this power over the deforming and decomposing and debilitating effects of sin death in your life so you can be free from worry and fear and guilt and people-pleasing. But the power of the Father's ring is the power of a relationship with the Father. His resurrection power comes from the power of knowing God better and better. So the most important business that I can be about in my life is the process of knowing God better. I grow to know God better as I devote myself to weekly worship, as I devote myself to time studying His Word and communicating to Him in prayer. I devote myself to community with other believers and serving and giving in the church. Knowing God better needs to be my top priority in life if I want all the joy and all the power that comes with being an adopted child of God who is adopted for life.